Hi, Wine Delusters. Today we're exploring the far south coast of New South Wales. I've seen it referred to as the Naruma Wine Region, so that's what we're going to call it today. Welcome to the Wine Delust Podcast. My name's Janine and I run a wine events business in Canberra. But my real passion is travel and my bucket list is to travel to every wine region in the world. In this series, I'll be exploring some regional Aussie wine destinations. I'll give you some tips whether you're planning a romantic getaway, a girls weekend, or you're dragging the kids along. Pour yourself a glass and let's get exploring. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land that we're talking about today, the Thawa people of the Yuan Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. In this episode, we're going to talk about the area. It's very broad from Batemans Bay down to Eden, which is about 200 kilometres. The Naruma Wine District is way down on the south coast of New South Wales, around the town of Naruma. There's only a couple of wineries there, but there's also a gin distillery and lots of breweries. So you'll have lots of fun in the area. So as you're heading down from Batemans Bay to Eden, you have the A1 highway following the coast all the way down. In some parts it's near the coast, in some parts it goes inland a bit. You're only about maybe 15, 20 kilometres from the coast at most. In the parts where the A1 goes inland, there are other little roads that take you to the beach and the coastal towns. The thing I love here is the scenery is just so different on the two paths. When I think of the south coast, I think of all the beautiful little beach towns. But then the A1 goes inland a bit to places like Cabago, Badella, Bega and Tilba-Tilba. And these are really lush green fields and bush. And you can see why it was such a big dairy country not that long ago. This is also the area that we might remember from New Year's Eve 2019 and the horror start going into 2020 with the Black Summer fires and all the damage that it did and people going to the beaches. I think it's scarred into a lot of Australian people's memories that media from that time. The area does look like it's recovering as somebody who's visited recently, but you do see these really charred trees now and again. And some of the locals tell me that they just notice that some of the houses that used to be there just aren't there anymore. So it's a great time to go and support the regional area. In addition to gorgeous and not very busy beaches, it's a massive foodie bowl. Naruma is famous for their oysters. And you can hear my chat with Paul West, who lives in the area as well in episode one about the annual oyster festival that's on in the region. The little towns of Bedella and Tilba Tilba have their boutique dairies. And I actually spoke with Erica from Tilba Dairy. Cheese is the perfect accompaniment to wine. We found their cheese at our local farmer's market and my husband and I are huge fans. And he also just loves their milk. He just drinks it by like the half litres of it. So while I was in the region, I couldn't not reach out to have a chat. Erica is a very accomplished cheesemaker. She studied all across the world to perfect her art. She's very inspiring and I love her wine and cheese matching suggestions. So keep an ear out for that. You can also check my show notes afterwards. So I'm here with Erica outside of the ABC factory in Central Tilba. Beautiful sunny day here and thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Now, we first heard about you because in Canberra, you guys come to the farmer's markets there. And 
I know that you have the Jersey cows, which is something a little bit different. Mm. My husband calls it extra fat cheese <laughs> and um, still like 95% fat free. It's only about 5%, isn't it? Well, it, it also depends how you view fat, Janine. In moderation, fat is very important and very pivotal. So I, I, I'm not adverse to drinking lovely creamy Jersey milk. Yeah, he's a massive fan because it's mm. kind of even got a slightly orangey tinge mm. to it and that. That's so. all the good beta carotenes from the grass that they forage in all the time. So that because they're outdoors most of their lives they'll be in the dairy shed for maybe three hours a day and then they're out in sunshine out in the grass for the rest of the time so yeah it it is actually a really healthy aspect of our beautiful Tilbury dairy full cream milk so how did you get into the jersey cows because that is unique isn't it like most other dairies use different What's They're the regular mainly, cow? Um, yeah. The big black and whites are Holsteins, Holstein or Frisians, so the same thing. It's an American-based cow. They're a very big cow. They're about a, they come in and weigh in at about 600 kilos when they have the first heifers and can weigh up to a tonne, as opposed to a Jersey who would carve in at about 300 kilos. And why do we milk Jersey cows? So one is the size difference and the impact of the animal on the land so for us we we felt like we could milk more cows on our property so a jersey cow will give you less milk than a frisian so we would get about between 12 and 15 litres a day from each cow and for a frisian it'd be up to um, 40 litres so the size is directly relative to the capacity of milk but for us it was about the quality of the milk was really important so it was the high butter fat and high protein and also jerseys have a higher um, incidence of a2 protein as well so that meant that we would potentially have a much healthier product that we were drinking ourselves and selling to people as well so and not only that it's the temperament of the jerseys they're the most beautiful animals they're lovely caramel brown and they've got lovely big long eyelashes and so that was why we chose jersey cows was my husband was actually the jersey enthusiast in fact he's a farmer i I was more of a city girl like when i say city town girl i should say um, so where are you from originally? Oh. <laughs> Not so city, well bigger than Tilba. Yeah. <laughs> so that was um, part of what he had the drive to do uh, dairying mm. and then I was at home and I had, you know, we had six children because, oh, well Nick's got three, three yeah. children, I've got three step and then we've got another three so we had six children all together. And so that meant that we, I was sitting at home and I was wondering what to do with myself. And, and I, I've always been really passionate about food and about the um, source of food, where food comes from, how it affects the body. There's so much that goes into making a block of cheese or a bottle of milk. Like, but, you know, from getting the, the grass to grow, even there's a step before then, you have to get the microbes right in the soil. You get the grass to grow. Then you have to inseminate or have a bull with your cows. Then you have to wait uh, um, 10 months for the calf to be born. Now, then once the calf is born, she takes 18 months to two years before she comes through the dairy. So it's this very long process. So then you've got guys that get up at you know 3.30 in the morning to milk the cows 365 days a year, wow. twice a day, Gosh. every day, without fail. And then we've got a whole team here at the factory that come every week, Monday to Friday, 7.30 to 3.30, to produce this wonderful product to make sure that we're getting out the best product that we can to our, our clients. And then there's the wonderful ladies in the shop. Let's not forget the people in the office who do all the wholesale. There's so many aspects to getting this right. Yeah. You've all been telling me that you, you, you know, have your family. So did you know how to make cheese? No. No, so you 
I did. I started you. making in the kitchen, and it was like it was like alchemy in the vat. It was just it was amazing, and because I I was all about straight from the source wholesome food, and have been forever. It was from my mother handed that down to me. It was wonderful to see this liquid that we had been producing on a, on a bulk state and how easy it was to make some basic cheeses, some ricotta, some feta, like the, some of those really easier yep. styles and butter. And so that was um, the start of like, well, this is great fun. And then in the, I think it was Dairy News or something like that, it came up that there was a dairy um, scholarship available. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I applied for that and I was very, luckily I was successful. And so I went around Australia uh, to three different oh, wow. placements in three different factories and then I went overseas to three different countries as well. Oh, wow. And yeah. then there was also a theoretical aspect down in um, Melbourne, what was the Werribee campus there of, of Melbourne University, which was a cheese-making campus. And so that really cemented my journey. And then we bought a little plant up down Potato Point Road in Badella and, and cut our teeth there and then bought the ABC cheese factory, the historical uh, cheese factory in 2012 in Tilba and basically um, have, have grown from there. So uh, Tilba was synonymous with um, gold mining and forestry. And then I think when gold mining started to peter out, I think would have been early 1900s, and then dairying came into the forefront. So Tilba, Bega, Badella, Cabago, like all of these areas up and down the coast uh, have been dairy areas they've for been stunning ever. To drive through. Oh, like, they're beautiful. Yeah, it's such yeah. a wonderful, wonderful place here. Mm. And and I did grow up here, so it, I am probably a little bit biased. In... Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I think it's gorgeous. <laughs> but it is. It's just got um, its pristine waters. There's wonderful bushland. There's beautiful beaches. And now that we've got a lot of people have moved to this this region as well, it means that we've also got diversity in foods that we can offer in wines that are available. Because I, I think of it as a beach holiday, but the thing that sounded me recently was, is it's like a foodie bowl as well. Like oh, absolutely. A couple of the dairies, you've mm. got wineries, you've got distilleries, mm. you've got breweries. Yeah, yeah. Like, we've got yeah. it all. There's just so much here and there, there seems to be more and more bespoke industries emerging out of, out of this area, which is really wonderful. What's your favourite wine and cheese pairings? Oh, there's so many. Yeah. It's so good. Okay, I would have to say my standout would be yeah. a, a nice full-bodied Shiraz, a little bit of age under its belt. So you want some really nice robust flavours there. You want really good balance on the palate. And I think that that goes beautifully with a um, a superior cheese, which would be like your husband's favourite three-year vintage. <laughs> you want a robust wine with a robust cheese. Otherwise, on the palate, the, the marriage does not work. One overpowers the other and the one gets lost in, in oblivion a chive or a herb and garlic cheese oh. goes very very well yeah. with something like a a full-bodied um, Sauvignon Blanc oh. so you've got the lovely fruit and you've got the big like passion fruit and the flavors coming through yeah. they blend quite well a Pinot Gris or a Pinot Grigio, both beautiful wines. And particularly if they're very, very fruity, I love them with our Canoe Hill Camembert. But if you have something that's a little milder, like so if we do go for a Tempranillo or even Sangiovese mm -hmm. or something along those lines, I would go with just very mild cheddar. Yeah. Not so too overpowered. Cheddar? It's called Tasty. So that's just a lovely 
creamy, nice, well-balanced cheddar with a, which a very mild cheese. I've got to give you another pairing though that I think is spectacular okay. is our fruit cheese. Okay, well I love that with a like a botrytis or a, a fortified if you don't mind too sweet because you have got sweet with sweet but you have got the acidity of the fruit to actually break through the um the, the sweetness so they do balance well no, um, i agree yeah. yeah it's a good one mm. yeah. and oh, interestingly enough our smoked cheese goes well as well with i'm uh, just thinking one of, maybe a cab sav smoked cheese and cab sav yeah, yeah. The, the fruit cab sav yes that yeah. sounds good yeah. excellent Yum. um so if families especially since being a mum of you know six, yep. six kids come to the region what do you what's one of your tips for them to do so obviously come to the cheese factory come to the and, cheese factory and, um, absolutely check out how the cheese making stuff yes. through the window there yep. and buy some cheese yeah and just and we've also got a lot of local uh, condiments and honeys and things like that here and lovely creamy milkshakes and ice creams and That's all those one. yummy things but in Tilbury there's also the lolly shop I think is a must as your son just attested to as well <laughs> We've also got some wonderful um, specialty stores in, in Tilbury. It's quite an eclectic blend. Uh, we have a, a bakery here. We've got um, the old dromedary, historic dromedary hotel. You can get a, a lovely counter meal or pub meal here. And then we've also got Ellen's Pantry and the Teapot, which are a husband and wife team on both ends of the town. Um, that's really nice as well. They do, And there's also Yuman Tea. They do beautiful scones with um, like a Devonshire tea. So there's lovely places to eat here. There's lovely shops to come and browse around you can just bring a picnic blanket and pull up a bit of grass and grab a cheese you know we do little cheese um, sample packs and you know biscuits and you can sit out there and just enjoy the sunshine and watch the world go by oh, that's um, the, if you want something that's a little bit more active there's a bike track that has uh, just been established with national parks and the um, local Ewan people which uh, is on a, a farm called Bellbrook so you can actually walk around under right under the the cliff face of Gulaga or Mount Dromedary, which is just superb. So how far is that from here? It's it's right here. It's oh. right it's right up near where wow. the pub is. You walk up behind oh. the pub and there's some steps there, or you can go. I'm pretty sure that's the entrance there, and you can walk down. And then you can even ride your push bike around. I think that's excellent. Thank you so much, Erica. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful to speak. Thank you. Okay, so back to the wine. So the Naruma wine region is around the town of Naruma. In regards to what wines to try, being a coastal region, the winemakers are growing grapes that will work in that region. You can find Chambersen because it's quite a disease-resistant grape and it grows well in coastal areas. I've had a very interesting chat with Gary from Rusty Fig. So this winery is like his retirement hobby and he really considered the climate and what was comparable to overseas for inspiration of what to grow. We followed up my visit to the vineyard with a chat over Zoom. So it's not the best quality, but I hope you'll enjoy this chat. How's the vintage looking this year? Because I know last year was awful for you. Uh, the grapes have been picked. Uh, it's a very limited vintage this year because uh, in the previous season, as you know, uh, we were burnt out by the bushfire. We lost roughly one half of our vines and they had to be replanted. And, uh, of course, you don't get any grapes from them in the first year. But the other, the other vines have been coming back and we, we've got a limited uh, vintage uh, this coming year. So, yeah, we'll have some wine to sell, but not as much as we usually have. 
a pleasing development is that we did plant a new variety last winter after the fires. It was an Italian variety called Piano. Mm-hmm. And it's been such a good season for, for growing because of the amount of rain we've had that I expect uh, the vines will actually yield some grapes next year in their second year, which is uh, quite unusual. So we're expecting um, September twenty. 22 to have some piano for sale as well. Excellent. I look forward to that. That sounds great. So you planted the grapes there on your vineyard. They weren't already established, were they? We established the vineyard in um, 2002 and we planted three varieties at the time. Tempranillo, which is the red grape, mm-hmm. the at the time we planted another one, the Spanish variety called Alberino. But about five or six years later, it was just discovered that what was thought to be Alberino in Australia, and not just in our own vineyard, but in other vineyards as well, was not Alberino, but an unusual French variety called Sauvignon. It's not Sauvignon Blanc, and so we were forced to um, (laughs) change the labelling of it, and even though it was exactly the same wine, and tasted very much like true Alberino, we actually had to label it as Sauvignon. Yeah, it, it, it was a complication because yeah, there's no difference in the wine and the wine had been very popular before this issue arose. But from a marketing point of view, Sauvignon is quite a, a difficult thing to market because it's difficult to pronounce to begin with uh, and it's also confusing with Sauvignon Blanc. So, mm. so you know, what I've found is that yeah, people when they try it, some people, not everyone, it's one of those wines you either really like it or you don't like it. And you know, the people who really like it find it quite distinctive, different from other varieties. So they sort of come back and keep keep buying it. So it's a bit of a niche wine, I suppose, is what I'd say. And so I'm not looking to produce too much of it, but just enough to sort of cater for the people who really like that style of wine. Or your regulars. <laughs> So how did you choose those three grape varietals when you first planted? Because I I don't think Tempranillo would have been very popular nearly 20 years ago. No, it wasn't. It was uh, was a fairly obscure variety in Australia. Well, uh, I guess the strategy at the time was we didn't want to produce mainstream varieties like Chardonnay and Shiraz and Riesling because there's so much of that around. We, you know, we, we didn't think it would be possible to be very distinctive, if you like. And uh, you know, when we started out, we envisaged sort of selling into Sydney and Canberra as well as locally down the coast. So we, uh, we looked around and we thought that Spanish wines were on the way up mm. at the time. And so you know, we knew Modelo was very well known and... Um, can produce a very nice wine, particularly in cool climate areas. And we also sort of learned about Tempranillo and importantly discovered that it's an early ripening variety, which there aren't very many red varieties which are early ripening. But by and large, they ripen later and, and you need to 
sort of keep them on the vine quite a long time before they're picked. And by and large, where we are on the far south coast, red varieties don't do particularly well. And that is because the, the sort of January, February, March period, which is the ripening period, is a rather uncertain period as mm-hmm. far as the weather goes. And you can have quite a lot of rain. You don't necessarily have a lot of sunshine. Yeah. Depends on the season. So it can be very difficult to ripen traditional varieties like Cabernet or Shiraz. I'm going to be planting this this winter, actually, and another variety. And it's a variety I did have some of before the fires, but I lost it all in the fires. It's a very unusual Spanish variety called Mencia or Mencia, as it's pronounced in Spanish. And uh, again, it's an early ripening variety. Yeah, it's more like a Shiraz in its style. So um, I'm giving that a go because um, I'm, I'm trying to sort of stay with sort of unusual varieties, if you like. I love that, yeah. I love yeah. trying different ones. So uh, what part of um, Spain is that from? Well, it's up in the northwest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's towards the Atlantic coast, that area, so it doesn't need a lot of heat to, to ripen. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. We, we used to live in Canberra like yep. you, um, and just after I retired, we put in the vineyard, basically. So the vineyard was a bit of an afterthought. Retirement hobby. <laughs> well, I call, that's what I call I call it a commercial hobby. <laughs> It's a hobby that I, I try to run commercial. Yeah, why not? That sounds great. So it's always um, strikes me as interesting people that run vineyards when they retire because it's a very demanding job. Well, it is. I know. I probably didn't know what I was in for. <laughs> so in addition to Rusty Fig, a couple of other wineries in the region are Mimosa, Breakfast Creek, Tilba Tilba Winery, And outside of these, there's also some breweries. And if you like your gin, check out the North of Eden Gin Distillery and Gin School at Stony Creek, which is near Bega. So other things to do. There is tons to do in this region. There's lots of lovely quaint villages, as you heard about Erica talking about Tilba Tilba. There's Mogo Zoo. It's quite small, but all the animals have huge outdoor enclosures. Off Naruma is Montague Island and they have penguins and sea lions and there's lots of tours where you can go swimming with the sea lions and penguins. Bodello Dairy also do cow milking on site a couple of times a day. There's the South Coast Oyster Trail and it will tell you all the places to stop and grab your oysters. In March, there's the Sculpture Walk along at Bermagui. There's lots of bushwalking. There's two mountains, the Gallagher Mountain, which is known as the Mother Mountain, and that's always been a woman's place. And the Mumbala was traditionally a men's mountain containing initiation sites. So this area is very significant to the local Aboriginal people. There's also a two-day, one-night Aboriginal cultural tour that includes a wellness session and healing workshop, and they'll also talk about the, the significance of the mountains in the region. There's also the beaches. There's so many little tiny alcoves, and if you hear my first episode with Paul West, he talks about how so many of the beaches don't have any people on it, but even in summertime, which to me is just mind-blowing. So some quick stats on the region. It's approximately three hours' drive from Canberra, five hours' drive from Sydney, and about seven and a half hours from Melbourne if you go along the bottom coast. There's an airport at Marimbula, which is in between Bermagui and Eden. There's lots of accommodation options, heaps of caravan parks, cabins, motels, and Airbnbs. 
you'll find that a lot of the accommodation probably have five-star views rather than five-star facilities. I'm a bit of a fan of that, actually. We stayed in some holiday parks right on the beach that were just stunning. And in some places, there are kangaroos on the beach too. And I still get a thrill out of seeing a kangaroo. If you're looking for something a little bit more upmarket, check out the Seahorse Boutique Inn just outside of Eden in Boydstown. You can either base yourself somewhere and do day trips to different places, or I like the idea if you're coming from Sydney or Melbourne, stopping at different towns along the way. It's such a wonderful and diverse part of New South Wales. And the bonus for us wine lovers is that there's a few interesting drops to try too. So enjoy. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe now to get each episode as they drop. You can also check out this podcast on YouTube and see pictures of the region and the people I've spoken to. Go to winedelust.com.au. That's W-I-N-E-D-E-R-L-U-S-T.com.au for everything discussed today. You can also subscribe to my newsletter to hear all about my upcoming events and other news. Till next time, happy wine travels.